guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and Members Academy. Today I'm really excited about the listening that we're going to do because it was the missing piece of a jigsaw for me. I've been looking for a listening like this for a while to add to my vocabulary course and now I feel my life is complete. It's all about the topic of your birth order. Maybe you could have a think about that for a minute. It might help you a little bit with the listening. You know, there are all these theories about um, if you were the eldest child or the middle child or the youngest child or a twin or an only child and how, how that affected your personality. It's a really useful topic for IELTS. It's my day 15 of my vocabulary course, which is all about... Uh, family. Um, it's related to the theme of genetics and upbringing and um, heredity and your environment and things like that. I've got a fantastic reading about research using twins. It develops the whole topic of nature and nurture you know, the idea that either you were born with your personality or you were formed by your surroundings. It's a huge topic in IELTS. And although I did have some listenings related to the family, they were more like part two listenings where there are a lot of family day outs and days out, <laughs> family days out and visits to museum and things like that very often for families and children. But this is a part three. And part three is where students study or discuss some aspect of research or their own research. And again, what's nice about this listening is how it kind of prepares you for the kind of readings that you get. And this is why I always say that everything in IELTS is connected. I don't believe it's the best thing to just do a writing course or a listening course. I strongly believe that uh, a reading can help you with all the other skills just as a listening can. And in this listening, they're going to talk about the theories and the evidence behind these theories. This is what I talk about all the time in the academic readings or the part three in general training they all follow that academic structure where you're constantly questioning, you're thinking critically, you're looking for evidence. And that also comes into your writing task too. So this is a really great example where you've got Ruth and Ed. They're planning the reading uh, for their presentation and, and the research behind this topic. The first set of questions is um, matching basically six types of child with their personality traits. So the six types of child go in order, starting with number 21 starts with the eldest child. So the position in the family is the eldest 22 is the middle child, 23 the youngest child, 24 is a twin, 25 is an only child, and 26 is a child with much older siblings. 
So when you look at the personality traits that you have to match, you could start quickly mentally preparing yourself for this listening. There are about eight personality traits, which include, well, A is outgoing, B is selfish, C is independent, D is attention-seeking, E is introverted, F is cooperative, G is caring, and H is competitive. So they're great adjectives to learn anyway, aren't they? And the question is, what did findings of previous research claim about the personality traits a child is likely to have because of their position in the family? Now, there are three really useful terms, even in that question. The findings means the results of the research. What did the findings claim? A claim is when you say something is true, but you need to give evidence for it. Um, I always give the adverts of these anti-wrinkle creams as, a, as an example. You know, they claim to make you look younger, but are those claims true? And a lot of that is all about academic writing and finding evidence. Finally, it says about the personality traits a child is likely to have. I talk about this language a lot with my writing students in the academy because likely to is a form of hedging. It's not saying 100%. You're not saying if a child is an only child, they will be selfish. You know, you're, you're being a lot more careful with language, a lot more specific. They may be more likely to prefer their own company, for example. Sounds much more sophisticated and academic than making these kind of bald claims. And actually, I found a, there's a lesson on my website about that, about making predictions and this grammar of uh, models of deductions as well is likely to, or there's a likelihood that. So do go and have a look at my website for that because I've been updating it a lot recently and trying to tie it in more with the free 28-day planner so that you can uh, go to the planner and make sure that you've covered everything and find all the help you need in the on the website. Of course, people ask me, well, what's the difference between your website and your members' academy? Um, you know, the website might have one good example for you, uh, but the academy will have a lot, lot more. So you get a lot more practice. And of course, you get me helping you with your writing. Oh, and everything else, of course, the videos, worksheets, quizzes, everything else. <laughs> All right, let's get started. So, um, Ruth says, and first of all, we're listening for the eldest child. Ruth says, Ed, oh, that's my printer switching off, sorry. <laughs> right, switch it off. Okay, Ed says, how are you getting on with the reading for our presentation next week? Uh, Ruth says that, sorry. Ed replies, well, okay, Ruth, but there's so much of it. Ruth says, I know, I hadn't realised birth order was such a popular area of research. 
Ed replies, but the stuff on birth order and personality is mostly unreliable. From what I've been reading, a lot of the claims about how your position in the family determines certain personality traits are just stereotypes with no robust evidence to support them. Ruth says, okay, but that's an interesting point. We could start by outlining what previous research has shown. So she's telling you, okay, get ready. I'm going to go through previous research. There are studies going back over 100 years. Ed agrees. He says, yeah, so we could just run through some of the typical traits. Like the consensus seems to be that oldest children are generally less well adjusted because they never get over the arrival of a younger sibling. So they've introduced the idea of the eldest child and Ruth says, right, but on a positive note, some studies claimed that they were thought to be good at nurturing. Certainly in the past, when people had large families, they would have been expected to look after the younger ones. So there you have it. That is the eldest child. And we said, or they said that they were good at nurturing. So when you look at the answers, you can see, well, you run through again, is it A, outgoing, B, selfish, C, independent, D, attention-seeking, E, introverted, F, cooperative, G, caring, or H, competitive. Out of all of those, the closest to nurturing would be G, caring. Uh, you'd have to know the word nurture, of course. It's one of my words on my essential list for IELTS. To nurture, um, you have the terms nature and nurture. Nature is what you're born with. Nurture is how you were brought up. So the word nurturing means how you look after other people. So this means that the older child tends to be more caring. Now, Ed moves straight on to the middle child. He says there isn't such a clear picture for middle children. But one trait that a lot of the studies mention is that they are easier to get on with than older or younger siblings. So this is interesting. They seem to be suggesting one thing, but then they, they say something else. Ruth says, generally eager to please and helpful. Although that's certainly not accurate as far as my family goes. My middle brother was a nightmare, always causing fights and envious of whatever I had. So there's a lot of information mixed up there. The first thing Ed says was that they were easier to get on with. And then Ruth agrees that they're generally eager to please and helpful. The synonym for that in the list is F, cooperative, which means helpful and eager to please. So you would need to know the word cooperative. In the next one, Ed says, 
As I said, none of this seems to relate to my own experience. I'm the youngest in my family. So he's introducing the youngest. And I don't recognize myself in any of the studies I've read about. I'm supposed to have been a sociable and confident child who made friends easily, but I was actually terribly shy. So you can see the tricks here that he doesn't agree with the, the claims that the young child is sociable and confident, but you have to choose what the research says, not what he thinks. So we were looking for sociable and confident. We look at the personality traits and the first one is A, outgoing. It's positive. Uh, there is a D, attention seeking, but, but that's negative. So that's another important thing you need to know about, which is the positive and negative connotations. Ruth says, really, that's funny. There have been hundreds of studies on twins but mostly about nurture versus nature. So we've mentioned this before, that the studies on twins to try to work out which is more important, personality or surroundings. Ed says this was one on personality, which said that a twin is likely to be, notice is likely to be, quite shy in social situations because they always have their twin around to depend on for support. So this is the theory that they are quite shy in social situations. You look at the personality traits. It's not outgoing, not selfish, not independent, not attention seeking, but E is introverted. And that is the synonym for shy in social situations. Ruth says, my cousins were like that when they were small. They were only interested in each other and found it hard to engage with other kids. They're fine now, though. Ed now comes on to only children. And yes, only children have had a really bad press. Means people are very negative about only children. A lot of studies have branded them as loners who think the world revolves around them because they've never had to fight for their parents' attention. So again, this is the theory. And what are we looking for? So A, outgoing, no. B, selfish. Unfortunately, that is the answer. Um, selfish, uh, sorry, selfish. No, hang on, that's the trick. Selfish or C, independent. Now, Independent would be positive. Remember, we've just said that these are negative characteristics. They've had a bad press. Um, the studies have branded them, which, which means that they've said it's negative. So D is attention seeking. E is introverted. F cooperative. G caring. And H competitive. So which one is it? Is it B selfish? or D, attention-seeking. And actually, now I look at it again, it's selfish, isn't it? It's loners who think the world revolves around them and they've never had to fight for their parents' attention. So that's the trick, sorry. 
The trick is they've never had to fight for attention, so they're not attention-seeking. But they do think the world revolves around them, which means they're selfish. Not true, of course. And Ruth agrees. That does seem a bit harsh. One category I hadn't considered before was children with much older siblings. A couple of studies mentioned that these children grow up more quickly and are expected to do basic things for themselves like getting dressed. Okay, so let's go over again. Expected to do basic things for themselves, grow up more quickly. So outgoing, no. Selfish, no. See, independent is the correct answer. And Ed finally says, I can see how that might be true, although I expect there's sometimes the exact opposite, playing the baby role and clamouring for special treatment. So there's a trick, you see. So he says this is what he thinks. I expect the opposite, that they might be clamouring for special treatment. So that could give you D, attention-seeking, or H, competitive. But actually, that is not what the studies showed. That was only what he thought. And this is a really important distinction. If you don't get that distinction between what the facts are and what his opinion is, it's going to throw you and it's going to throw all of those tricks and distractors at you. So distinguishing between fact and opinion also 100% essential for uh, the reading test as well especially then they when they ask those questions about which person thinks what. Okay, the next set of questions, there are only two and they are multiple choice. So remember you get a short break. There's a kind of pause which signals that they've moved on to the next question. 27 says, what do the speakers say about the evidence relating to birth order and academic success. So what do they say about the evidence about this connection between birth order and specifically academic success? Great language here for task two writing. Says A, there is conflicting evidence about whether oldest children perform best in intelligence tests. So A is that there's not good evidence, it's conflicting um, and it's about performance in intelligence tests. B, there is little doubt that birth order has less influence on academic achievement than socioeconomic status. status. So this one, B, is saying that actually um, your socioeconomic status, how wealthy your family was, is more important than birth order. C, some studies have neglected to include important factors such as family size. Okay, so all three, of course, are mentioned. We, we need to kind of separate the tricks. And the question is, what do the speakers say about the evidence? Okay, so Ruth says, what was the problem with most of these studies, do you think? Ed 
says, I think it was because in a lot of cases, data was collected from only one sibling per family who rated him or herself and his or her siblings at the same time. That's not important to what we need now. Ruth says, some of the old research into the relationship between birth order and academic achievement has been proved to be accurate, though. Performances in intelligence tests decline slightly from the eldest child to his or her younger siblings. This has been proved in lots of recent studies. Okay, so they mentioned the intelligence tests, but they say that this evidence is accurate and it has been proved in lots of studies. So we can cross off A, which says there is conflicting evidence. Conflicting meaning people agree or disagree. Um, a bit like controversial, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of how when you're writing your task two, you often start with it's a controversial subject. You could also start with this. There is conflicting evidence about whether um, nature is more important than nurture, for example. Or when we did today, there's conflicting evidence about whether um, going to university um, results in a higher paid job. So it's a great one to learn and use in task two. Uh, Ruth then says, performances in intelligence... Oh, no, sorry. Ed says, yes, although what many of them didn't take into consideration was family size. He explains, the more siblings there are, the likelier the family is to have a low socioeconomic status which can also account for differences between siblings in academic performance. So, we're looking at B and C now. Um, and remember, whenever I talk about listening part three, I talk about the signals that they give. Go to my website, I have a whole lesson and video about the signals. And here's a signal. Ed says, what many of them didn't take into consideration was family size. So there's the emphasis. People didn't take into consideration is the synonym for neglected to include important factors such as family size. So that gives us answer C. Um, the trick with B is that there is little doubt that birth, it's a comparison about which has more influence or less influence. And that comparison is simply not in the text. It's a bit like a, a not given. In 28, the question is, what does Ruth think is surprising? Now, remember when you get this question, what is surprising, you're, you're listening for um, any kind of signal which means that they were shocked or didn't realize something. So Ruth says, uh, "What? sorry, what does Ruth think is surprising about the difference in oldest children's academic performance? A, 
It's mainly thanks to their roles as teachers for younger siblings. B, the advantages they have only lead to a slightly higher level of achievement. And C, the extra parental attention they receive at a young age makes little difference. Okay, so it's a tricky one. Let's go. Ruth says, the main reason for the marginally higher academic performance of oldest children is quite surprising. So there's what she thinks is surprising, the main reason for why they perform better. It's not only that they benefit intellectually from extra attention at a young age, which is what I would have expected. So she's discounting C, which is the extra parental attention that they get. She thinks, yeah, well, I expected that. We're still listening for what is surprising. And again, the emphasis comes here. It's that. So it's not blah, blah, blah. It's that they benefit from being teachers for their younger siblings by verbalizing process. So it's this idea that because they're teachers for their younger siblings, then they actually learn faster. And that is our answer A. It is mainly thanks to their roles as teachers for their younger siblings. The trick with B is about um, only a slightly higher level of achievement. Well, she doesn't say that's surprising. And she says they are marginally higher academic performance. She doesn't say uh, that is surprising. But she says the reason for that is surprising. Okay, the last ones, questions 29 and 30, says choose two letters and which two experiences of sibling rivalry, again, good word, sibling rivalry, so the kind of competitive nature of relationships between uh, brothers and sisters, do the speakers agree has been valuable for them? So what have they learnt from this sibling rivalry? A, learning to share. B, learning to stand up for oneself. C, learning to be a good loser. D, learning to be tolerant. Or E, learning to say sorry. And the answer is introduced by a question, as I've mentioned before. It, it kind of leads you to the answer. Um, so, would you say sibling rivalry has been a useful thing for you? And Ruth says, I think so. My younger brother was incredibly annoying and we fought a lot. But I think this has made me a stronger person. I know how to defend myself. We had some terrible arguments and I would have died rather than apologise to him. But we had to put up with each other and most of the time we coexisted amicably enough. So the two answers are actually in Ruth's answer. She said made her stronger and she knew how to defend herself. So defend yourself is stand up for. Phrasal verb, interestingly, stand up for yourself. The answer is B. 
And the second one says we have to put up with each other. Another phrasal verb, interestingly. And put up with, it's on my list of essential phrasal verbs for IELTS, is to tolerate, is the formal synonym. And we've got here the answer, learning to be tolerant. Again, showing how important it is to not discount anything. Lots of people say, oh, you don't need phrasal verbs for IELTS. Phrasal verbs are informal and um, you know, academic IELTS is academic. Well, yeah, but you're constantly switching between what people say. Like this is a dialogue as you have in part one in the listening test. Um, you need to be able to recognize these informal structures. IELTS is a test of your overall English, remember. But there are ways to do that. I do have lists on my website that you can learn the more formal versions. And of course, as you develop your skills, you can uh, flip-flop between them and you can decide which one you'd use for a letter uh, to your friend and which one you'd use for a letter to your boss, for example, in general training. Okay, so I hope that's helped. It's been quite a tough one, quite a long one, but uh, really, really useful vocab and, and a useful topic. So I always recommend that you always go back and look at the tape script, read it carefully, identify those keywords and uh, make a note of them, learn them, blah, blah, blah. Okay, thanks very much for listening. See you on YouTube Tuesday and Thursday. Tomorrow, we're doing another task two, a new topic, brainstorming and focusing on conclusions. Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.